We are in Matthew, going to look at uh, several verses today. I hope you got your fingers ready on your Bible. Or We're going to start in Matthew chapter 16. It's uh, listed uh, 1618 as your today's scripture in your bulletin. We're going to look at the whole context there. We're going to actually start at verse 13 of chapter 16 of Matthew. Starting at verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? That is one of the most critical questions of time. Who do you say Jesus is? That is the determining question, and your answer there is so important. But he asked him that. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by, by, by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can take this time, this moment, to study your word, to see what you have to say for us today. And I pray that you would just take control of my mind, my lips, and let me share what you've given me, and then that you would open the hearts and the minds of each one here, each one watching on live stream, that they would hear what you have to say to them today, Lord, because you're speaking, help us to listen. We thank you through Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to answer one little question real quick before I go on, just to get it out of the way so you don't sit there studying on it. There in verse 20, when Jesus says, don't tell anyone I'm the Christ, the only reason he said that is he was not yet ready for that to be revealed to the people. It wasn't that he wanted them to keep a secret. He later, of course, instructed them to tell but just at this moment in his ministry, it wasn't time for them to go out proclaiming that yet. So that's the only thing there. So we got that out of the way. But in these verses, like a lot of scriptures, a lot of passages, there's interpretation about what they say. And this is no different here with this the interaction with Peter. And... Some of the Greek, it really does help. I don't like to belabor uh, languages too much, but it does help give us some good pictures here. Is Simon was, of course, Peter's original name. Simon, when translated, it means little pebbles, loose pebbles, loose footing. And Jesus, after Peter ushers this confession here that thou art the Christ or thou art the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus gives him the name Peter, which means rock, as in a foundational rock, not just a, a stone sitting out here, 
but those of you who have done any construction, any digging at all, understand that there is a bedrock that underlies things that gives support and holds up. And uh, so that's what Jesus has done here. And with this confession of Peter has given him that name, meaning rock. But the question comes when Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church, is what is Jesus talking about? And many take that he's talking about Peter, that he would make Peter the established person, the establishing person to create a church, the church of Christ. Uh, but more uh, thought along the line of where I study and where I've been raised is that the rock Jesus is talking about is Peter's confession, where Peter says, Thou art the Messiah. Messiah meaning the coming one. The coming one had been predicted, had been prophesied since the dawn of time. Back to Adam and Eve's fall, we have a picture of one coming that would crush the head of the snake of the serpent of Satan, and that person was Jesus Christ. So from the very beginning of mankind's time, we've had prophecies about one coming to free man, to rescue man. And that's what the Messiah means and that's who it's referring to. And that's what I take that this scripture's meaning is Jesus is going to build his church upon that foundation thought that he is the Messiah, he is the coming one, and he is the son of the living God. And some of the passages, not to take time to go there, that substantiate that, I think, is other teachings Jesus did about building on a sure foundation. And one of them is from that little VBS song or Sunday school song we used to sing, the wise man built his house upon the rock. How many remember that? Remember seeing that? That's right. But that was talking about, of course, Jesus is so perfect as a teacher here, and that's an understatement, but he's taking what people understand. If you want your house to last, to stand, you don't build it on loose sifting sand. You build it on that bedrock that's going to support it and keep it strong through the weathering storms. But Jesus is also doing that dual meaning there of we need to build our life upon the rock, the foundation of God and Jesus Christ. And so that's building that house. So Jesus took that parable of building a practical thing, building a house on a rock and teaching how we need to build our lives upon the rock, the foundation of Jesus Christ. And that's part of what uh, I believe points to this passage, meaning that Jesus is teaching he's going to raise his church on the foundation, the rock of Peter's confession that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of the living God. But the word we want to key in on today is that word church. It's only mentioned in Matthew in the New Testament, and Jesus doesn't do it too often there. And uh, you're, um, I'm having, let me turn it on here. For some reason you always need power, don't you? Ecclesia is the word Jesus used there. That's again, that's a Greek term, ecclesia. And 
oh, there's all kinds of meanings when you get into it, but when you distill it down to just a few words, and that's what my simple mind needs, it means the called out ones. That those who are called out from the world, from the world system, those who have answered the call of Jesus Christ. And later Paul talks to us and he tells the people he's writing to that they must be in the world, but don't be of the world. We live in the world. We can't escape that until the time that this body breathes its last and we move on. But we don't have to be of the world. We don't have to live according to the ways of the world. And God, Jesus here is calling the church, the ecclesia, the ones called out from the world. And that is the same meaning as being holy. Holy means to be set apart. And we are to be holy people. Doesn't mean we're better than anybody. We're still sinners, saved by grace. We're still... Uh, you know, the, the old saying is the ground is level at the cross. We all stand at the same footing before Jesus Christ. And so we can't uh, point fingers. We shouldn't point fingers at each other or think I'm better than you are. Or you're better than me. Before God, we are all sinners until we are saved by grace. And then he continues to save us day to day. But we are to be the called out ones. Blaise Pascal was a French mathematician. He made this famous saying. It's been ascribed to many people. Francis Schaeffer is one who made it very popular in his teaching on Sunday school. He lived in the early half of the 16th or the 17th century in the 1600s. And he defined it as this way, that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And he's acknowledging that within us, there is this, this void that we keep trying to fill, this vacuum, he calls it, this emptiness. And we try to fill it with all the things of this world. It can be, we try to fill it with wealth, we can try to fill it with lascivious living. We can try to fill it with anything and everything. But the only thing that fits that spot, that is the round peg and the round hole, is Jesus Christ who revealed God to us. And so this is a very appropriate and a very good saying. And that's, that's very important to us today, that this is Jesus Christ, this foundation of the world that we have believed, that we have accepted, that we have come to. We did not start out that way. We started out in, with a sin nature that desired ours, what we wanted, desired to satisfy us, decided to please us. And we do some good things. We can do some things that appear godly, that can appear beneficial to others and we do that but we can still be apart from God and we need that quickening of his uh, a breath within us we have that picture in the Old Testament in, in, in Genesis where, where it says that God formed Adam from the dust of the earth and then he breathed into him and that brought Adam to life well 
as, as individuals born after Adam and Eve, we are born with a dead nature to God. We are unaware of God. We don't think about God. We think about ourselves. And God then quickens us. He breathes into us a little bit of thought from the Holy Spirit so that we start becoming cognizant that there is one greater than ourselves, that we start becoming aware of our need of God to fill that vacuum. And from there, we hear the word through various ways, through reading the scripture, through people preaching, through a loved one uh, talking to us about God. And the Holy Spirit continues working to bring us to that point to where we then acknowledge, like Peter did, you are the Messiah. You are the one who has paid the penalty for my sins. You are the one who came to rescue me, and I need that rescuing. We come to that place, uh, so many of us, not everyone unfortunately, but we come to that place in our life that we realize that our efforts are in vain. And we understand the scripture as it is preached to us, and as we read us where it, it, it is... It is discouraging in the sense, but truth is often hard, that there is none righteous, no, not one. That everyone seeks their own way. And that it is that turning to Jesus Christ that, that brings us to life, that awakens our spirit. And when that happens, we become in tune with Him. We start hearing Him. We start responding to him. And so Jesus here is talking about in Matthew 16, 18, that in that whole concept of the called out ones who have heard his voice, who have responded, he's going to build a church. And we go on and we have the scriptures uh, in Acts chapter 8 where God Jesus passes that mission. He knew he was going to be leaving. He only lasted as an adult, as an adult about 13 years, but as a teaching uh, an adult, his ministry was only about three years long, very short, very limited. But he, of course, packed so much in that, more than we can ever unpack and understand, but he knew that he was going to be leaving one day and so he wanted to establish his church to continue on his mission. And we have that in Acts chapter 8. When Jesus had been resurrected, he had walked among the people for, for a time. It says hundreds saw him. It is not just a few disciples. He was seen by hundreds of people that weren't even his followers. It's a fact of history that Jesus rose again from the grave and walked among them. But as he was getting ready to depart for good, physically, he gave us this verse in Acts chapter 1-8. Uh, they were asking him, as we do, Lord, when's it all going to come out at the end? When are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to do? He said, that's not for you to know. That's not for you to be concerned with. He says, however, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and the othermost parts of the earth. Jesus gives us that mission for his church, his called out ones, his followers, that they are to continue his work, continue proclaiming the kingdom of God throughout the world beginning in their home. We also have there in chapter uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, Jesus is saying how you who have believed, who are followers, are part of the body of Christ. That is the church. The church is the body of Christ. And sometimes if you'll pay attention to when I'm praying, you'll hear me say something like the body of Christ here at Campbellsburg, here at this church. We are the body of Christ who meets in this facility to worship God. But there's another one across the street this way. There's a couple right up close that way. There's the Methodist this way. Those who all believe, those are all uh, 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 local bodies of Christ worshiping in those locations. We are all part of the body of Christ who have accepted him and believed him. So Jesus is saying, you are now the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. So as you believe Jesus Christ, you became part of that body. And there's so much teaching that Paul does in that he says, just like we have a body here, and that body has many parts. Hopefully, uh, some people have lost some, but we have two legs, two arms, nose, ear, eye, and all of that makes up our body, and all of those have a function to help our body achieve what it needs to achieve, whether it's eating, whether it's work, whether it's rest, whatever it is. And so it is with the body of Christ here at Campbellsburg, specifically Baptist Church. You are part of that body. You are important to that body, and you have a role within the body of Christ. We also have in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, Paul's teaching here, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit resides within us. When we accept Christ as our Savior, He comes and indwells us to empower us, to teach us, to give us wisdom. And so we become temples of God Wherever we go, we take God with us. Whatever we do, God is there participating in a passive way, perhaps, hopefully. Certainly not in our sins, but he is present with us in all that we do, whatever we do. You are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God. You are not your own. You have been bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so we have this picture of what Jesus is saying here. I'm establishing a church. That church is made up of those who recognize me and accept me as the Messiah, who accept me as a son of God, who has come to take their sins upon himself, to die for those, to rise again, to and fill with the Holy Spirit. That is his church. And each one who has believed that message is a part of that body, that body collective worldwide, that body specific here at Campbellsburg Baptist Church. And God has knitted these organizations, these 
groups together to achieve a, his mission. And his mission is to proclaim the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. And so we are part of that body. Jesus, uh, Paul goes on to teach us then about how to be a part of that body. In Romans 12, starting in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren and sisters, I reverted back to King James. Most of these verses I learned in King James. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's the King James Version. This is New International Version. Say the same thing, just different wording. Then he goes on. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, you're in the world, but don't be of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When the Holy Spirit comes and takes control, when Jesus becomes the Lord of our life, we start thinking a different way. We start thinking less about satisfying my own desires, my own urges, and we start thinking about being what God would have us to be, even when that goes against what we may want to do. Then, once you've done that, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, and God's will is good, perfect, and pleasing. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. We're bad about doing that. But rather think of yourself in sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Here he's gone again from the collective church to the individual. God has distributed to each of you. So in Christ, though we are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we have this congregation concept here of the body of Christ and all of you who have accepted Christ as Savior who are here today and have come here to worship are part of the body of Christ at this location and we each belong to each other. Meaning we have a responsibility to each other. We have a, a need to serve each other. I don't know... If you recall it, I hope you've heard it, and I'm sorry we've gotten away from it, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to bring it back. The COVID, another one of those things COVID took from us. But one of the reasons in the Baptist church and many other churches that we pass the plate to each other is in doing that, we serve each other. Rather than me performing a role as a priest uh, if we go back to Old Testament terms and standing here and dispensing it to you, we are all priests under Christ. The priesthood of the believer is the term there. And so when we do communion, we serve each other. And often I, I grew up seeing that when the plate's coming, this person would hold it while I take what I take, and then I would turn, present it to the next person, hold on to it until they can get their elements, and so forth. It goes down the, the pew. The picture there 
is that we are serving each other communion. And so that is the picture here that Paul's talking about. We are here to serve each other. We're not here to lord over each other. We're not here to, we're not supposed to be, to think we're better than others. Again, that ground is level at the cross. And so Paul is doing this teaching. So I want to break these pa- these this passage down here and summarize it. Uh, Paul goes on to say, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy if in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, lead diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so Paul's saying here, each one of you have received a gift and you need to work through your gift and and perform your gift. Don't let it languish. And so to summarize, Collectively, we individuals form one body, the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. We are that body. We have different gifts assigned by the Holy Spirit. Now, the gifts here is not a talent. It's not a, a, an ability. It's a specific spiritual gift to enable you within the body of Christ to achieve the mission of Christ. Music, uh, singing, playing an instrument is a talent. It's not the kind of gift we're talking about. And so we have different gifts assigned to the Spirit. Here is Hebrews 2.4. The author writes, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, Notice those last words, distributed according to his will. God chose a gift for you to have, distributed according to his will. It's not by accident. It's not by just happenstance. It's not a bingo game. God picked something out for you to be indwelt with. So collectively, we form the body of Christ. We have different gifts assigned by the Spirit So we are one body of many members with different roles, and we are gifted to accomplish that role. We are to work within the gift God has given us. That's where Paul's talking about. If your gift is prophecy, prophesy. It is important here again to get into the New Testament terminology. When we think of prophecy, we think of um, people foretelling the future. This is what's going to happen uh, out there somewhere. This is their, their, got their crystal ball, their tarot cards, whatever, and they're saying this is what's going to happen. And God used prophecy in the old days, in the, in the Old Testament, to foretell what was coming. Prophecy in the New Testament has a slightly different connotation in that it means forth-telling. In other words, telling of the truth telling of the gospel of God. It is not in the New Testament usage meaning to say what's going to happen in the future. It means to speak what has happened, who God is, what's going on. And so that is one. He said if your gift is the gift of giving, 
then give. If your gift is a gift of service, then serve. Whatever your gift, your role is, work within it. There is this phrase I introduced to you last week, and I wanted you to see it, and I wanted to say it again. There is a minimum of weariness and a maximum of effectiveness when you work within the gift given to you. And as, as mature, capable adults, every one of us here can do a lot of different things. I can sew, but I'm not a good seamstress. You probably don't want a pair of pants that I sew. My, that hem may not keep, but I can do it. In a pinch, I can put a button on, I can take care of things. And you, like me, have abilities in a, different, a lot of different areas, in many areas, but they are not necessarily your bread and butter, your cup of tea. There's a place that you can shine better than anybody else. That's what he's talking about here. There's a minimum of weariness, a maximum of effectiveness when we work within the gift given us. We have that problem in church is as good faithful members we often take on roles because somebody needs to do it and that's good and and helpful and we appreciate that however you're going to be the most effective when you know what your gift is and you're working within the gift you're empowered so these are the four we've seen these and then we are to use our gifts for the good of the body it's not really for our benefit. It's to help the body achieve the mission of Jesus Christ. It's thinking outside ourselves. It's thinking beyond ourselves. It's thinking to serve Christ, not self. And so we have these other verses that Paul gives us. 1 Corinthians twelve seven. Now to each one, each one of you, the manifestation is given. Why? To build you up? To make you look special? For people to say, ooh, no. For the good of others. For the common good. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So we can't take an excuse. We can't claim an exception. We can't take an exemption. We each here have a role God has given us to, a, to use He's empowered us through the Holy Spirit. He's enabled us. He's given us a mind where we can learn to do it better so that we can unite together, so that we can join together, cooperate, and achieve the mission He has given us. So in summary, by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, we've been born again into His body, the church. Again, as a child, we are born with a sinful nature. It was passed down to us from Adam. It's, it's mystical. It's, it's not anything we can cognitively understand. It's just a, a DNA, a spiritual DNA that's passed down through us. Each of us is born with our spirit dead to God because of that sin that was committed Thousands of years ago, it passed on to us. That's why it was so devastating when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God. It wasn't just them. It was transferred to each one of us. But that time comes 
We call it often the age of accountability. It varies with each child. But there comes that time when we can start understanding the concept that there is someone greater than ourselves, that we are incapable to achieve God's standard within our will, within our exercise, and we need this person who came to provide the gift for us, that person being Jesus Christ. So that's the grace and mercy of God. I said it many months ago, I'll repeat it again. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You deserve death. Jesus was merciful. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. He's, he's endowed us with the riches of heaven. The controlling factor is not what God's done, it's, it's, it's us not opening ourselves up to that. Justice, of course, is getting what you do deserve. God, by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, we've been born again into his body. As his body, he's given us each a mission to proclaim the gospel to the whole earth. He's given that mission to our church, but he's also given that mission to each one of you to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to share through your life, yes, your life needs to exemplify Christ. We, we should live a life before God so well that people say there's something different about that person. I need to know what he's got. But then we also need that speaking. We need to say it. We need to share it. We need to verbalize it. And we need to do more than just post a verse on Facebook. We need to actually talk to people and say, let me tell you about something. Then, we have been indwelt by, empowered with, and equipped through the Holy Spirit. All those passages, John 14, 15, and 16, wonderful chapters in the book of John. Jesus, again, knew that he was leaving. And he tells us, he's trying to comfort his disciples, says, I've got to go. But if I go, I will send another comforter to be with you. And Jesus uses many words for the Holy Spirit. One is comforter. He can comfort, he can soothe our, our troubled soul. He calls him an advocate. An advocate's a lawyer. If you get in trouble, you want a good lawyer at your side that knows how to argue to the court. Jesus the Holy Spirit is that advocate standing at the right hand proclaiming on your behalf. And one person he proclaims to is God the Father to say, I know him, God. He's one of mine. Let him in. So we have that Holy Spirit living within us. We are his temple. We are his vessel. We are empowered. God gives us what we need to accomplish the task he's given us, and we are equipped through that Holy Spirit. That's why it is so sad that for too many times in too many of our churches, the Holy Spirit has been played down, denied, uh, relegated to the collective Spirit of God. When the Bible teaches us the Holy Spirit is a person, 
a third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We need to recognize that. He was so important, Jesus taught about him and sent him to be with us. So when the Son of God says, you need this, you need it, and we need to appropriate it. And finally, we need to use the gift or gifts given to us by the benefit of the bo- for the benefit of the body. We read there in Hebrews, when we became Christ, one of Christ's followers, the Holy Spirit distributed a gift to each and every believer. As we grow in Christ, we can take on other gifts. And so that's why the plural is there. Each person has at least one but as we grow and deepen in Christ, just as we mature as adults and individuals and we develop the ability to do many things, so we as Christians then grow and take on other gifts of the Spirit. And so this is the teaching here that Paul has about the church, that we are a body of believers Christ has established this as his method, as his plan to evangelize the world, to meet the needs of others. That's practical and spiritual. And he has equipped us with the Holy Spirit who has endowed you with a spiritual ability that will help the whole body function. That helps the whole body work as a well-oiled machine. And so it becomes uh, important and necessary for us individually to find out what that gift is and then explore and learn how to use. Some of you hopefully have studied that and know your gift. We're going to look at it again as we go through the month of July. We're going to study these gifts of the Spirit. And, And I will have a form that you can fill out that will help us discern what your spiritual gift is. I don't know if you've ever done that. I hope you have. We're going to do it again, those who are willing to participate, with the end result being that we find out how we work within this body. And and, and I want to say parenthetically here, when we're talking about being a part of the body, it's got nothing to do with being your name on the church membership role. If you're here worshiping with us as a follower of Christ, you're part of this body. That's a formal system we've set up these days. The being a Christian, accepting Christ, worshiping within this group of people makes you part of this body. And so we're going to explore what the Bible teaches about this And we're going to look at discerning how you can find out what are the spiritual gifts, which one is mine, how is it to be used. And if we are wise and if we will put the plan into motion, it will help us to form the body the way Christ saw it. Right now we may be all disjointed and discombobulated because we got we got people doing things that they're not really gifted to do. So we want to visualize how he's put this body together 
because as we all work within our gifts towards the mission of Christ, there'll be a minimum of weariness, a maximum of effectiveness in reaching the mission of Jesus Christ. And so that's our call today about Christ being the church, being in the church, the church of Christ. It's not the denomination I'm talking about. It's that overreaching concept that we are the church of Christ. And with him as our lead, he has given us a direction in which to move.